0: This is the Behavioral Observations Podcast with Matt Sicoria, session number 36. Welcome to the Behavioral Observations Podcast, stimulating talk for today's behavior analysts. Now, here's your host, Matt Sicoria. Hey, everyone, it's Matt Sicoria, and this is session 36 of the Behavioral Observations Podcast. And this is like take 500 of this introduction, so I apologize if uh, I sound a little ragged here. For some reason or another, the phone keeps on ringing or the dog barks or uh, I, I get tongue-tied or what have you. So I'm going to try to finish this in one final take and uh, get going. So I've got a fun show uh, today about parent training, and I am joined by Brandon Franklin from Clinical Behavior Analysis And they are doing some really innovative stuff with parent training. They've got a unique protocol that they're using. And Brandon is here to kind of share it with us. So this is something I think we're all going to come out learning something new uh, with. And I think it'll be an episode that you'll really enjoy. So um, before we get to that episode, I do want to let you know that we are sponsored by com. That is the independent fieldwork supervision services of one Dr. Lisa Britton. And, you know, it's really hard to find quality supervision sometimes, especially if you are in an area where there's not a lot of behavior analysts. So for those of you in places like Massachusetts and Florida and California, where, you know, we're not exactly a dime a dozen, but we're certainly more dense than, say, North Dakota, um you know, it, it might be a little bit easier finding good supervision, but, you know, with the advent of of uh, online programs and things like that, people, you know, in all parts of the world starting to become behavior analysts, it requires us to find uh, other types of supervision uh, um, outlets, if you will. And so Lisa has uh, made it her job to provide high quality independent fieldwork supervision in a distance context. So if you want to Find out if uh, her is being supervised by Lisa is a good fit for you. Reach out to her. You can go to Consulting.com forward slash contact and plug in your name and email address and uh, take it from there. That is B-R-I-T-T-O-N behavioralconsulting.com. Uh, one other thing I want to mention is that we just had our third annual New Hampshire ABA conference uh, here in uh, the Granite State. It was a success and I'm really proud of all the folks that served with uh, me on the conference committee, uh, especially uh, Dr. Leanne Millinder, who kind of quarterbacked the whole thing and exhibited great leadership and organizational skills. The conference went off without a hitch, even though we were stuffing folders uh, right as the registration lines were forming up. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it w- it went off uh, really great. It was fun to see great behavior analytic presentations here in our backyard. So. I think that is it for housekeeping, so without any further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Brandon Franklin from Clinical Behavior Analysis. Brandon Franklin, welcome to the Behavioral Observations Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Matt. Oh, uh, I really appreciate you coming on, and we're going to talk about uh, parent training and all sorts of fun stuff like that, and you wouldn't believe the interest that is in this area. It certainly surprised me. I put out a call for listener questions uh, about 12 hours ago or something like that. And uh, maybe a little bit longer than that. But I must have gotten 20 to 30 questions. It was unbelievable. So this is, this is an area which people have an intense interest in. There's an intense need. And, uh, you know, I hear that you guys uh, down there in Kentucky are doing some really innovative things with parent training and things like that so i really appreciate you coming on the podcast to share some of the lessons learned in regard to this uh, this really important endeavor so uh, thanks for coming on
1: yeah um i'm excited to be here uh, parent training is definitely something that a majority of us in you know the aba world use on a daily basis um I, it's something i do all day every day in schools day programs homes and you know the the title parent training is kind of misleading because it's really more of a a parent caregiver training Mm -hmm. and um you know there's skills that everybody should have if they're working with a learner or you know running a behavior plan or treatment plan that's been written by you know a behavior analyst
0: sure and we'll get into that stuff in in just a minute here but i want to give you an opportunity to kind of introduce yourself to the audience so if you can spend a few minutes kind of telling us how you got into aba you know, and kind of where your career is led you to and things like that, that would be great.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, I could give you the old um, cliche, I fell backwards into this. Um, To a certain extent, I did, but it was more calculated than that on my part. Um, When I graduated undergrad, I went to the University of Louisville, and I got my undergraduate degree in, uh, criminology. And there was a lot of theoretical, a lot of, you know, psychology type work within that. And I really enjoyed it. <clears throat> and when I graduated, I moved to Virginia beach and I did some work with, uh, the Navy seals and their canine program, training dogs and training, uh, dog handlers, um, you know, through certain situations and how to find, uh, explosives and, you know, bite work and all that type of stuff. Uh, no and it was kidding. a really, that's right.
0: Yeah. I, I did I did my master's research uh, at uh, the Institute for Biological Detection Systems at Auburn University, and we did research yeah. on uh, the, the olfactory capabilities of dogs. So I oh I, yeah I, I remember a little bit of that world from you know twenty odd years ago. So it's uh, yeah.
1: Well, it's definitely a different world. Um, you know, it was a great experience. I got to travel all over the place and do a lot of great things. Um, I eventually moved back to Louisville, Kentucky, um, for my wonderful wife, Jody. <laughs> and um, I started doing some social work within the courts and with child protective services. And I just kinda like stopped one day and you know, looked at what I was doing and I really hated the work that I was doing. And you know, kind of like a self loathing, like, this is what you're doing, like you've gotta you've gotta you gotta do something. Because this isn't it. And what, what, uh, someone what was, had mentioned. What was,
0: what was not satisfying about it? What, what was the. Was just... Everywhere I walked, every house
1: I walked into, I was the bad guy. Um, whenever people would come in, the only real help that we could give them is okay, I'm going to send you counseling. I'm going to send you counseling. I'm going to send you counseling. And we would just send everybody to counseling. But these same people, the recidivism rate was just so high that you know there would be generations of families that would come in and
0: we weren't helping them so would this be like and like abuse neglect cases and things like that abuse neglect but also uh there was a combination of you know juvenile delinquency
1: and um truancy and you know just a bunch of other issues to where i'm talking at people and you know they don't care they don't want to be helped and that's not everybody it's not a broad sweeping generalization but Um, I just got to the point to where, you know, I said, I'm, I got to find something to where I can actually help people and be effective. I see. Because what I'm doing right now, isn't it? Um, somebody had just left the agency that I was at to get their master's in applied behavior analysis. And somebody on my unit said, you should check this out. I said, okay, yeah, I'll do that. Uh, did some research, looked at it and... Uh looked at some of the principles and what what we do in our field, they were doing with the dogs. They just didn't use the terminology and, you know, the tight scientific methodology that we use. Uh, they were doing cold probes. They were doing, you know, all kinds of different things, you know, graphing, keeping data. Like it was crazy after I went through school and kind of flashed back to, to what they were doing. I was like, man, this is I've done all of this already. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, I went to uh, Spalding University in Louisville with uh, Nick Weatherly, who's now at FIT. And I just remember going to his office (laughs) like once a week, once every other week and just begging and pleading like I will do whatever it takes. I'll work as hard as as, you know, you've ever had anybody work, Uh, mainly because, you know, kind of along the same lines as Greg Hanley, my grades weren't very good. And uh my G R E was like borderline scary.
0: Mm-hmm. Like
1: I remember getting that score back and being like, I, <laughs> I know I'm smarter than this.
0: Uh oh. Yeah. <laughs>
1: but obviously not <laughs> because the score was just uh was abysmal.
0: Yeah, you gotta get so better at that process of elimination, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly.
1: Um so I begged and pleaded with Nick and he took a chance on somebody like me. And uh I like to think that um <clears throat> that it worked out because I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. Um, I'm doing community work at Clinical Behavior Analysis now in Louisville, Kentucky, um, with Jason Simmons, uh, who owns the business. And uh, we truly live clinical behavior analysis in the sense of the word, to where we don't work with just small children with autism, or, you know, a certain population, we take 18 months all the way up until death. And we work with dementia, we work with autism. We work with ID. We, uh, are in the process of trying to work with mothers who have addiction issues. Um, my, I remember my first case that I had at, uh, CBA was with a, he was probably 24 years old and he had schizophrenia and he was having, you know, uh, maybe two to three suicide attempts, um, a year. And, you know, he was being hospitalized quite a bit and it was kind of impeding his independence. So we, we love working with anybody and everybody who needs help and you know, that's, that's just what we do. And um,
0: so, so it sounds like you guys are kind of uh, living out the stuff that Pat Fryman likes to talk about, right? You know, in terms of, uh, you know, going beyond the, the traditional parameters of what is commonly seen in applied behavior analysis in terms of populations and things like that how do you do that and kind of stay in your scope of practice you know i know like for example i'm a huge act fan right and um Mm -hmm. um, but i'm not going to I would I would be you know I'm, I'm not going to you know intervene on on you know with a kiddo who has you know severe depression or something like that you know using the ACT model because I'm not a trained counselor or anything like that you know in other words it's you know I would consider something right. like that I I could see doing it as far as you know using something like Mark Dixon's ACT curriculum uh, as a as a a skill in based intervention and things like that. But, it would, be, you know, so how, how do you how, how do you guys as behavior analysts at, at and you guys call it CBA for short, right? Yeah, CBA. And, and just while we're chatting here, what is the uh, what is your website in case people are listening to this and want to check? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Our website is www.cbacares.com. OK. And uh, we've got some really exciting. I'll get to your question in a second. But we've got some really exciting things that, you know, we're growing and building into. And we have a 13,000 square foot clinic that will hopefully be opening within the next year. And, um, we're going to be able to serve a lot of families in an area that doesn't have a whole lot of clinic services. Okay. So, and so just, to, um, just in,
0: to be, hold on one second. So yeah, yeah. that's cbacares.com. Yeah. All right. And so just for, you know, in case you're, um, driving around in your car or walking your dog or, man, God forbid you're on the treadmill listening to this podcast. I think <laughs> you'd probably turn in like a record slow time if that was the case, but. It's neither here nor there, so if you can't get to a pen or paper safely, uh, we will have this information in the show notes along with other stuff that we talk about today. So anyway, so let's get back to the question. Back to the question,
1: yeah. Um, so what we do is we evaluate each case individually, and we try to match you know, what a clinician's competency in a certain area or a certain level would be with the particular cases that we have come in. Um, and then after that, we evaluate um, what can we do from a behavior analytic standpoint to help this person. Uh, we do refer out to other specialists if we feel that you know they need more help than what we can offer or help in a certain area that we cannot offer. Um, but something we also do is we screen all of our clients before they even come in. So we'll sit down with the families for half an hour to an hour. And uh, we'll do what we call a preliminary intake assessment. And in that, we're taking down what do you need? What services are you looking for? When are you available? Um, What are some skills? What are some uh, things that you would like to develop? What are some challenging behaviors that you'd like to reduce? So that way, ahead of time, before we even accept a client, we kind of already know if we can apply those behavior analytic principles to them or if they need a different service. And then we can refer them to people that we know and trust that are going to do a great job for them.
0: Cool. Um, so obviously the topic at hand here is parent training and things like that. It's, uh, vital. And I know you guys have developed kind of your own curriculum from that you've adapted from, uh, I believe the book's name is parenting the strong willed child by four handed long. Um, yeah. so before we kind of, can you kind of outline, I know there's like a several steps in this process, uh, uh, can you just go give us a brief overview of these steps, and then we can kind of go go back and go into each one oh, in a yeah, little more detail.
1: definitely. <coughs> Excuse me, I got a little bit of a
0: cough. No worries. Um,
1: Parenting the Strong-Willed Child, it's a great book that is, for the most part, required reading at CBA. Um, I remember when I first started with CBA about four years ago, Jason handed me this book and said, read this, uh, it will be a very important part of your time here. Um, I kind of was like, okay, whatever. Uh, read the book and since I've started using these skills, it's just it's been so easy to work with clients and so easy to work with parents. Um, but rapid, it's a uh, parent training tool that we can use in the community school and home settings. It's really fluid so it can be used anywhere. Uh, it focuses on teaching critical inter- interaction skills necessary to have meaningful and positive da- daily interactions. Uh, And through those daily and natural teachable moments that we set up through RAPID, positive behaviors are reduced. And uh, learners respond appropriately to difficult moments and changes.
0: Um, So what does RAPID stand for?
1: Oh, yeah. I'll get to that. Let me see here. It is rewarding, attending, providing breaks, uh, ignoring. And then I also have to add in non-dangerous behaviors. So you're ignoring non-dangerous behaviors, not all behaviors. And then direction giving. And those are the five skills. Yeah,
0: We'll we'll get into each one of those in a little bit more detail here in a second. Yeah, for sure. um, uh, Before we get too far down the road, has this program ever been evaluated in any type of uh, peer-reviewed or published research?
1: Not that we are aware of. However, I mean, I thought about that and I was looking and it's really – it's more of a package. You know, we're packaging behavior analytic principles like differential reinforcement and extinction and positive reinforcement and, you know, punishment and all those different – all those different characteristics and procedures of behavior analysis. So, you know, I was thinking to myself, like, man, you're right. I haven't seen that in any, any peer reviewed literature, but then, you know, I got to talking about it with Genevieve and she said, I'm sorry, Genevieve's hanging out with me here in Winnipeg. She, uh, she mentioned like, Hey, it's just a package. Like, don't think too deep into this. Uh, it's, it's all these behavior analytic principles Um, that we use every single day, just packaged in a friendly way. So parents will buy in and understand what we're talking about without saying, you know, positive reinforcement. We're talking about rewarding, um, and stuff like that. So,
0: and, and, and real briefly, what are the outcomes that you've been seeing thus far since you guys have started implementing this?
1: Oh man. Um, they've been awesome. Um, I could give you a million stories. I wish I could, uh, post a graph that I have on one of my little guys that I worked with. um, he was a young man who was having like tantrum and SIB and physical aggression and really didn't have, <coughs> excuse me, didn't have any type of meaningful interaction with his parents. And um, he would just walk in. I remember the first session I have, and he'd walk in and he'd hold up his phone to his mom and go, Download this. And she'd go, Oh, okay. And, you know, would, Download it, and he he wouldn't even say thank you. He would just walk back into the room with his phone. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I had like I have to help this family. They're off in a bad way. Yeah. And um, the first thing I did was I hit him with the rapid skills uh, while I was assessing and while I was doing a you know a behavior plan because you know all these skills are skills that you're gonna write in your behavior plan anyway. Like parents need to have these skills in order to run your treatment plan, your behavior plan effectively. So I went ahead and started working with them on these skills while I was assessing and while I was um, writing the behavior plan. And the progress was crazy. Like it was unbelievable. Like I said, if I could show you the graph, it's just a straight decline in challenging behaviors. But, you know, aside from all of that, I think it was two months later I walked in and um, he's at the kitchen table with his parents doing origami. And I'm kind of like, what? Like, what's going
2: on here? Like, why, right. why, Who
1: are you and, and what did you do with that child? Exactly. So he's teaching the origami and then he like leans over to his mom and hugs her. He goes, I love you, mommy. And just look on that mom's face when he said that. I was kind of like, all right, like this stuff, this works. I knew it would work, but that was, you know, one of the first instances in which I'd really implemented it and uh, got to see just the effect that it could have on a family. Uh, so we're seeing great outcomes with it. Um, it's, it's, it's just a really great system that can help families, um, learn to interact with each other, you know, in a, in an appropriate way that create those meaningful interactions. And, um, yeah, I just, I just love it. It's a
0: great system. All right, cool, cool. You know, I, I did get my hands on the book, as you know, and uh, oh yeah. flip through it and instantly. And just to be clear, that you know, I, this is a book that is addressed towards a just a a non-specific population of of children. For sure, and uh, I think any of us who are behavior analysts who see other people with kiddos and things like that, you know, another. Uh, well, I guess I'll just kind of come to the cut to the chase and say basically, I I, I want to like hand this out not just to certain friends of mine, but ran- to random people on the street, because it's... Like <laughs> at the grocery
1: store? Yeah. Yes,
0: yes, indeed. Yes, <laughs> indeed. And and go over my own parenting practices, certainly. Uh, you know, I have three children myself, and uh, so it's a good reflection on, on uh, you know, kind of what I'm doing as a parent, what are some things I can improve on, and things like that. And again, that's uh, Parenting Strong-Willed Child. We'll have that information in the show notes at behavioralobservations.com. Uh, so before we, get, you know, uh, start talking... Well instead of continuing to extol the, the 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 benefits of this program let's get into the nitty-gritty of it so it's uh, there's okay. five steps to it so let's start with uh with rewarding i guess we'll start there
1: yeah so what we do is we kind of take it <coughs> excuse me out of uh order that the book has just because i think it's like r r rapid i you know i can't remember the exact word <laughs> that they are in the book but, It would be some know, clumsy walk, it's, clumsy it's, yeah, uh oh, it's really weird yeah But uh, we walk into, you know, a house and we say rapid and it's, you know, sexier like that. Um, So, yeah, rewarding and uh, rewarding in, you know, is obviously defined as verbally praising or providing tangible items and activities to your learner for something they're currently doing. Um, So what I have to tell parents, and what I like to explain to them is a lot of times when you're giving questions and instructions, questions and instructions, and that's all you're doing, you become very aversive to your learner uh and then you become white noise and they start to tune you out or avoid you and um a lot of times what i'll do is i'll walk in i won't even tell the parents what i'm doing in one of the first sessions and i'll ask them i'll say hey you know give me a 10 minute session of you guys doing something that you really enjoy together and um it's always thomas (laughs) thomas the tank engine Mm -hmm. and um they'll spend 10 minutes you know, playing with Thomas. And what I'll notice, and I take data on this, I take data on questions and instructions, and then I also take data on reward. It's almost like a baseline that they sure. don't know I'm taking. And they'll sit on the floor and, here, stop, oh no, we gotta put Thomas on the track. Oh no, we gotta, no, why do you make Thomas do that? No, Thomas shouldn't do that. Here, let me try it. Here, I'll show you. We're gonna do this. And it's this, this struggle <clears throat> back and forth between the parent between the child over thomas and how thomas is supposed to you know work on the train track so i'll flip that around and i'll show them you had you know 49 questions and instructions and you rewarded once so rewarding can change you into a positive source of interaction as opposed to a negative source um when you're rewarding you always want to include exactly what it is that you're rewarding so be very specific um like, I really love the way you're keeping Thomas on the train. That's great. That's how big boys play with their toys. Great job. Um, and then you can tailor this to, you know, working with adults, too. I like to have characters that I play. <laughs> I know it sounds ridiculous, but, um, you know, I feel if you're working with kids, especially, you have to be really excited and you almost have to have this extra persona of uh, and I like to play like the incredulous, like, oh, my gosh, like, I can't, oh, my gosh. So I have a guy right now who I'm working with, and um, he didn't want to do his schoolwork right you know, right before I got on the plane to come here. He didn't want to do his schoolwork, and um, I finally got him to sit down, and he started underlining his Cs and circling his Cs. And I remember when he did the first one, he looked up at me for my reaction. I was like, oh, my gosh. I like fell out. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe that you just did that. That's so amazing. <laughs> you underlined that C so perfectly, and it's red. Um, oh, This is too much, man. You're doing too great. So his natural reaction because that is extremely reinforcing to him is okay well I'm going to underline the next one and then I got even more oh this is too much you got to stop
0: all right you, so, oh you're killing me this. so just yeah. to kind of make sure I'm on board here yeah. is that you're you're kind of coaching parents how to be yes h- how to present with more enthusiasm and things like that exactly
1: and you're working on you know letting the child or your learner whoever you're working with letting them know that what they're doing is appropriate and you notice it, and you're giving them what they need from that. So, and you got to you got to know their functions too. You got to know if it's you know attention. You got to know if it's an activity, a tangible. Um, you know, it's <coughs> it really needs to be you know specific. And we can say it's this big overall curriculum and program that we're using, but you really need to you know specifically make it for your learner as we do in everything else uh, individualized. So, but it needs to be specific. It needs to be immediate and, um, you know, it needs to, um, fit the function of their, of their behavior. So,
0: cool. So, um, let's move on to attending and, uh, unless there's anything else with rewarding that we still need to cover.
1: Oh, no, no, no. Um, attending is the toughest to learn and it's so tough. Because it's so close to rewarding that a lot of a lot of times parents get confused uh, between the difference in attending and rewarding. So the difference between attending and rewarding is that attending, you are verbally labeling or you're physically imitating uh, the learner's current positive behavior. As opposed to with rewarding, when you say, "I really like the way that you're keeping Thomas on on the uh, train tracks," uh, attending would be, Hey, I see you with Thomas on those train tracks. Or you get down and you get a different Thomas or Percy, or I don't know all the characters. I don't want to give too much away here of how much Thomas I watch. But, (laughs) um, (laughs) you know, you would get, you know, a train similar to them and make it go on the tracks too and imitate their behavior. And you're showing them that you notice what they're doing positively. And while that's extremely close to rewarding, it's not the same because we don't want to train every time that you're doing something you need to be handed reinforcement immediately um <clears throat> so it's not praising it's labeling or imitating because obviously the praising is rewarding uh when you attend you want to allow your learner to understand what interactions are positive and which ones are negative and um i think more so with attending than rewarding because it's not that verbal i really like what you're doing but you got to be excited and positive about it as well um and then, obviously, just like rewarding, it needs to take place while your learner is void of challenging behaviors, and they have they are interacting or uh, engaging in positive behaviors. Your replacement behaviors.
0: Okay. And so let's uh, so it sounds like there's like a a a a Venn diagram with a little bit of overlap between those two. Yeah,
1: those two are, and that's why they're the toughest because they're so similar um, that. It, it, it's really tough, especially, I mean, you're talking about parents that were walking in and there's a lot going on and this is all new to them. And they have a million different people pulling them a million different ways, telling them how to do everything. And, you know, this is just another kind of fold in that, that, <coughs> excuse me, that they, you know, kind of like, wait, didn't you? isn't this the same thing? Didn't you just, so, you know, I, there's more to attending, but for the parents, I really just keep it at, um, it's verbally labeling, labeling or physically imitating and that's it. And then with the rewarding, it's, I like, I love, I, I really enjoy when you do that. Um, there's some materials out there. There's like a hundred, hundred ways to say good job. I think there's some lists out there like that. Um, I like to give those types of things to parents if I can find them, uh, that works for them and that way they don't, they, they don't feel like they're just a robot saying the same thing. Um,
0: they are having, you know, real authentic, natural interactions. Cool. Uh, all right, so providing breaks is next. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, providing breaks, I really, because it, it's timeout,
0: essentially. Um,
1: and providing breaks is a punishment. Uh, and I hate using punishment because we do positive behavior support. So I use this as little as possible, but it's not always like a harsh punishment. You know, sometimes a client can be overstimulated. Uh, I'm sorry, a learner can be overstimulated, and you just have to remove them from. Uh, a situation. So providing breaks can be defined as removing your learner from a reinforcing situation or removing a reinforcing item from your learner.
0: Essentially punishment, right? (laughs) Uh,
1: So when positive behaviors take place, it's punishment if it
0: reduces the challenging behavior. Yeah. Yes.
1: Um, So when providing breaks, you want to take certain factors into consideration. Um, And this is where I really get, get kind of in depth with parents on, listen, I know you're frustrated, but we can't provide breaks in a sense because you're frustrated. We have to make sure that what we're doing with these breaks um, is effectively teaching our learner that their behavior is um, inappropriate and that you know we need to change what you're doing. So you gotta ask yourself, is the break truly a break? Will your learner be safe during the break? Is the break effectively teaching your learner about their negative behavior at the time? And are you providing uh, long enough or too shorter breaks? <clears throat>
0: So, right. you know, can yeah. f- can you just go through that list again though? That that, went, that yeah. was good stuff, but it, uh, I just want to make sure I, uh, for yeah, those listening I'll slow along down. That, that yeah. <laughs> All right, so is the break so, truly a break?
1: Is the break truly a break? Is your learner safe during the break? Uh is the break effectively teaching your learner about their negative behavior at the time?
0: And and by and, by, by that you mean there there's there's it's devoid of reinforcement.
1: Yes, and also it's taking place when the negative behavior happens. Uh because if you're working with a 5-year-old and you know they hit their brother, they do something you know an hour ago and you're like, "All right, well you're going in timeout now for that or I'm taking this away because of that." Like are they really learning from that?
0: Right. So, so they, you have
1: to make sure yeah. So it needs to be con- and, contingent. Yes, definitely. And are you providing long enough or two shorter breaks? Uh you wouldn't put a 3-year-old in timeout for 20 minutes and this is where i really have to tell parents i know you're frustrated i know you're upset but we don't want to take those frustrations out through this procedure because you're trying to teach them um, you're not trying to, um, you know, force your frustrations upon them.
0: Yeah, and ideally, you uh, want them back in the situation, I would imagine, right? So they definitely, can, you know, so yeah,
1: you want to reengage so they can, you know, contact reinforcement through those positive behaviors.
0: So what what are the ways in which you guide parents in terms of setting? Because, of course, I'm sure as any behavior analyst listening to this podcast right now can probably nod their head in agreement with you know the age old question, like you know how long, right? And, um, so do you, do you have guidelines that you help parents with in terms of the length of the timeout? I think
1: it's, I think it's more of a feel and where that individual client is and, you know, their Mm functioning level and, you know, what they have going on at the time. Um, it, it's, it's really just a feel. I don't have anything written down that says for this age or for this, you know, person use this amount of time. Now you know, I will coach them up on that and, you know, Hey, timeout is, a trigger for this for this kid um let's do it as quick as we possibly can get him in and out or maybe find some other way uh to show them that their um behavior is inappropriate and you know there's others you know we'll get into the other skill in just a second uh the ignoring skill but i i really have my parents that i work with uh use the providing breaks as a last resort um <clears throat> especially like when I'm working with adults, I don't even use providing breaks because, you know, they have rights and we can't take things from them. Um, You cannot put them in a corner and tell them sit here for 20 minutes. So providing breaks for me is just a last resort uh, because ignoring generally works so well. Um, But yeah, it's, you know, to kind of expand on providing breaks a little bit, um, what you want to do is you want to make sure that the breaks that you're providing are in like a hallway, a, a kitchen corner or a parent's bedroom. <clears throat> and I was, you know, presenting some of this yesterday and kind of giving a, you know, giving examples of, you know, what's the worst place when you're like five years old or, you know, three to five, what's the worst place in the world? It's your parents' bedroom, right? It's <laughs> like There's nothing in there other than like mom and dad stuff and it's super boring uh what you don't want to do is send someone to their own room you don't want to go to learner's uh bedroom uh you don't want to send them to the bathroom you don't want to send them to a closet and you know you don't (laughs) want them yeah definitely definitely not the closet right (laughs) exactly uh you you know you're not shutting people in the closet and feeding them crushed potato chips under the door because they had you know negative behavior that just kind of wipes out you know, what we're working on this positive interaction. So, and that's just an extreme case. You know, you will have parents who are, you know, go down to the basement and sit there and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't want to exile them from the family and from our current situation. Uh, why don't you just sit them over there where you can, you know, you can observe them and make sure that they're safe, but they're also <clears throat> void of reinforcement at the time. And then we'll get them back over here, get them reengaged, and then you know, they'll start contacting that reinforcement again.
0: So, if there are any, you know, I know there are parents who listen to this podcast as well, um, and so this question might be geared towards someone who might have perhaps less clinical acumen, but you know, what are what's some advice in terms of you know, again, another age old kind of timeout question, uh, and I think that anyone in our field is probably fielded from time to time from from parents and others as um, you know. What happens if the kiddo doesn't go to take a break or go to timeout or whatever? How how do you coach up parents under those circumstances?
1: Yeah. So for me, dude, like waiting out tantrums is one of my favorite things to do. Like, I don't know why, but I coach my parents through (coughs) those tantrums. And what you're going to, and that kind of leads into the ignoring steel. I was going to say, this is like the
0: world's most awkward segue. But so I guess we could probably start talking about uh, (laughs) No, no, no. It's fine. Because, um,
1: you know, what I tell them is, Hey, we are at a stopping point here. If they will not take a break, then we're going to stop everything we're doing. And we will not continue on with our day until they do take a break or go to timeout or do it or comply with what you're asking them to do. And until then we're ignoring them, and we're blocking them from, you know, whatever it is, whatever else it is that they're trying to do. So, you know, say you have a kid throwing a fit about Xbox and um you know they're on the ground throwing tantrum you're like all right that's it uh i need to go sit in the corner for you know three to five minutes however long your your timeout is and they just drop to the ground start screaming that's when you uh and i'll get into this later but you know i tell my parents to be mother nature so um that's when you just no reaction stone face okay turn around find something else to do but you're also monitoring them so when you because it always happens. He tries to sneak back on the Xbox and creep his way over. That's when you're blocking and, and stopping them and, you know, kind of standing in front of the Xbox and waiting out that tantrum. So, you know, with ignoring, we are withholding attention, tangibles or other variables that may reinforce challenging behavior. Um, that's physical, verbal and eye contact. Uh, this teaches your to learn to engage uh, in positive behaviors in order to get your attention or other things that they may want or need. Um, and like I said, I always tell parents, leave the room or find something else to do. Um, that that's generally effective because when they stand there, they tend to want to negotiate. They do want to look at them in the eyes. They do respond to questions. Um, and then it becomes this power struggle. Um, and then of course, when the positive behavior eventually comes back and takes place, we want to reward that ASAP. Parents tend to have this idea of, no, you, you acted a fool today. So you're going to wait a little bit longer before you get this. What we're trying to teach this kid or this learner is that when you engage in those positive behaviors, you get what you want. So as soon as that positive behavior takes place, hop all over that and, and you know reward them with whatever it is that you're rewarding, rewarding them with.
0: So just to so, recap.
1: Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was gonna have some do's and don'ts, but we can recap.
0: Um so, so it's basically blo- so we'll get into do's and don'ts in just a second, so, but just to make sure I've I'm um, I'm 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 still with you here. So it's ignoring yeah. is blocking, no eye contact, no verbal interactions, and yeah. ideally finding something else for the Yeah, and I can get to into do. the
1: mother nature I can get into the mother mother nature part right here because it really kind of goes in, in tune with that ignoring and that blocking and uh whatnot. But I tell my parents like you've got to be mother nature when you're delivering consequences. Okay. Uh, and you know, I just used this example here in Winnipeg because it's always cold and rainy and just cloudy up here. Uh, but, um, if you're riding down the window in January in Winnipeg, uh, and you're rolling down the window is mother nature. going to say, Oh no, stop. Don't do that. You're going to get so cold. Oh, please. No, oh, no, no, don't do that. No, it's just cold. You go, oh my goodness, that's really cold. I need to roll the window up. Just consequences, right? So I tell my parents, you have to be mother nature. When your learner is engaging in challenging behaviors or heading down that road, you've got to be mother nature. Just consequences. No negotiation. No pleading. No begging. Uh, No, oh, you know you're not supposed to be doing that. You're going to lose this. You're going to do that. Um, You're just delivering those consequences. Because when you get into those back and forth conversations you're encouraging that negative behavior. And, um, you know, sometimes kids negotiate or learners negotiate their way out of things. And we're trying to keep that from happening. So I put my parents in the frame of mind, wait out the tantrums, deliver the consequences. You
0: are Mother Nature. And that's worked pretty well. I like that. Uh, I, I wasn't sure what the context was, and you brought that up earlier. So thanks for taking yeah. some time to kind of yeah. elaborate on that. Um, are there other do's and don'ts?
1: Yeah. So the do's and don'ts. When you're ignoring, you want to withdraw your eye contact, you want to find something else to do, you want to leave the room, and you want to wait until positive behaviors take place to interact. Uh, And this is the most important one for parents. And I know somebody asked a question about this, I believe, was um, reward yourself for your efforts and performance. And I tell parents, treat yourself, right? (laughs) Like you are working so hard to change this behavior. This is not an easy thing to do. There are going to be tantrums. There are going to be times when you want to give up. Of course, we all know about the extinction burst if you're dealing with that at the time. When you follow the plan and you do things that I'm asking you to do, I will identify that. I will let you know, set yourself some goals, and then treat yourself. Make sure that you're taking some time to reward yourself for the efforts that you're putting forth. Um, When you're ignoring, you don't want to talk about the challenging behavior, you don't want to show frustration. You don't want to laugh about the challenging behavior. You don't want to negotiate with your learner. And you don't want to ignore when a challenging behavior could harm someone or cause significant damage. And I think that's very important to note because there are parents who, if you just put ignore, um, you know, they're just following what you're doing and they aren't behavior analysts. We have to let them know every step of the way what we're doing and how we're doing it and why we're doing it. And if you just say ignore, they're like, cool, all right, I can do that. Then you walk into a session, hey, yeah, he broke every television in the house and I was ignoring, just like you told me to. And that's where we have to be better at what we're doing and let them know, no, I was talking about non-dangerous behaviors. Here's what you do when behaviors get dangerous and you have, you know, a crisis plan or some sort of reactive strategy written
0: for them. You know, I was at ABBA uh, in uh, in Denver, as you know, and uh, I think it was either that one or the, oh, one, yeah. the, the one the year before <laughs> uh, in Chicago. I can't remember which one it was, but... Um, I think it was Tim Vollmer. It was talking about you know extinction and the and the and the, the challenges with it and things like that. And uh-huh. um, I don't want to put words in his mouth. Uh, and, and again, this may have been a different talk that I'm kind of. Anyone who's been to ABA or APBA knows that they all kind of run together after like it's just one or third... big blur. <laughs> <That's> yes. <right. laughs> um. But someone someone was saying something about cautioning the use of the word ignore. And, mm-hmm. and, and treatment plans in general, because of that, that per, um, concern of people taking it too literally, and yeah, allowing, allowing you know significant property destruction or even yeah, injury to we've occur. We started writing
1: like, like uh, not attend to, you know, things like that. We will write that uh, on occasion, and not attend to challenging behaviors instead of ignoring.
0: Very cool. Um, other other do's and don'ts. No, that's it. <laughs> all righty so the last one is uh direction giving yeah and direction giving is really my favorite because i
1: feel it's kind of the essence and the starting point of a lot of the challenges that our families face because you know when you're providing directions and those directions you know aren't um followed through or they aren't you know complied with that's where parents get frustrated they take things away kids get our learners get frustrated uh they act out Or you deliver, you know, a confusing direction and then the kid acts out like there's so many different ways that, you know, direction giving affects your relationship and and the behaviors that your learner is engaged in. So direction giving is defined as breaking instructions down into smaller steps and issuing them individually. It's also giving clear and concise directions. So we want to keep instructions from being vague questions or followed by reasoning Um, a great example of this is just simply brush your teeth, brush your teeth, three words, right? You don't want to do, I need you to brush your teeth, take a shower, get dressed because you have to look good and be clean for school.
0: Or do you want to brush
1: your teeth? Exactly. Well, and you know, that's, there's like four different, um, four different types of direction giving that I'll get into here in a second. That, yeah, exactly, the questions and you know the vagueness and uh, the lets, the oh, let's yes. brush our teeth. yes, yes, So um, when giving directions, obviously you want to speak clearly and slowly. So everybody listening out there, uh, do as I say, not as I do because I realize I talk a little fast sometimes. Um, have your learner repeat back what it is there to complete. And by when. So you know that they've absorbed and they've acquired what you're telling them and can repeat it back to you so they know exactly what you're asking them to do. Something that I've done with uh, my parents and my kiddos that I'm working with is I have them uh, complete my my directions. So, all right, we need to keep our butt in our – and then I'll look at the kid and he'll say, seat. I'm like, awesome. We need to keep our feet on the floor. Okay, and we're working for – Always, Thomas! That's right. <laughs> and, uh, so, um, Not Gordon, because he's a jerk. Yeah, Gordon's a jerk, and Percy, I just hate Percy's face. I don't know why. But um, <laughs> th- that way, they know exactly what they're working for and what they need to do in order to um, contact that reinforcement. So
0: they get some intramural and, fill-ins going on as well. Oh, yeah. Uh,
1: always remind your learner of what they're working for and can earn. And, uh, if giving your multiple directions, uh, give them one at a time. So I like to tell parents, <clears throat> excuse me, if you need them to complete like hygienic tests in the morning, if you want them to brush your teeth, uh, make their bed, get dressed, um, comb their hair, you know, whatever it may be, I always tell them have, so go upstairs and brush your teeth and come down and find me after you're done. Great. You're done brushing your teeth, go upstairs and get dressed, um, and have them report back to you so you can see that it's done, um. Because when I start working with parents, a lot of times they'll be like, yeah, morning's a drag. You know, I'll tell them to do all these different things and, you know, 30 or 45 minutes will go by and I'll go upstairs to check on them. And they're like, once again, playing with Thomas. (laughs) And uh, um, so, you know, it kind of builds in a, a foolproof system almost to where, you know, you're keeping track with what they're doing so you don't lose, you know. You don't lose them in the morning, but you also give them those one-step simple directions, and then you can build in reinforcement. You know, when they come back down, oh my gosh, you are looking so great today. That's my favorite shirt that you're wearing. I really like the way that looks on you. And you know, it's kind of you know a reinforcement after um, after each task is completed, along with simple directions. So um, you want to avoid those chain instructions, and that's giving several instructions at one time. Um, you want to avo- avoid vague instructions, not clear, or specific, you know, you'll get the be good. Like parents will drop their kids off at school or they'll, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm going to the grocery. Be good. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Be good. And I'm like, what does that mean? How do you operationally define be good?
0: So, um, there's usually, on, usually right? some pointing involved with that too, right? You know, be good. As, well, you know, <laughs> what not, you I know this is a podcast
1: the podcast is I'm pointing right now at Genevieve's computer monitors, telling them to be good. So, <laughs> uh, uh, this is my favorite though, because I always like to explain this question instructions with, uh, an example, uh, from my wife. So asking your learner, if they will do something rather than directing them to, uh, I got a text message from, uh, my wife the other day, and it's no secret that I hate the theater. Like I just don't like the theater. And, um, she sent me a text and said, hey, uh, do you want to go see Dracula? And I, I, mean, I answered the question, no. <laughs> so, you know, I told her, if you want me to go do these things and you want me to go see these things, you have to tell me. You have to say, hey, I want you to go see Dracula with me. You're going to see Dracula with me. So for our parents, <clears throat> do you want to clean your room? No, I don't. But thanks for asking. Uh, we we want to make sure that they are being assertive and letting, you know, their learner know that this is not an option. I'm asking you to do something and in order for you to get what you want or what you need, you're going to need to complete this task for me. Um, and then the last one, uh, this is a really hard, actually it's not the last one, second, last one. This is a really hard one to break people of because, you know, when we work with kids, we're so involved with what we're doing. And a lot of times we're prompting and we're, we're helping out and we'll say like, um, Let's go do the dishes or let's do this. Um, But when you get to the dishes, you kind of go, all right, do the dishes, buddy. And you're standing there and the kid's kind of looking at you like, well, you said, let's do the. You said we were going to do this together. So if you're truly going to do something with your learner, that's that's fine. You can use let's. But if you're not, we want to avoid those let's instructions because they do get confused or they do get upset when they uh, get to the actual task and you're kind of like, all right, that's all you, man. Um, The last one. yeah. plural
0: pronouns. (laughs) Oh, yeah, for
1: sure. All right, for sure. Last one. Uh, The last one is instructions followed by reasoning. Um, And you're just, you know, time to clean your room because we have company coming over and we don't want this place to look messy. Um, That kind of muddles the instruction. Uh, It also leaves room for negotiation. And then, you know, what if, in this specific moment, your learner hasn't been fully prepped uh, that people are coming over and they have anxiety or they have issues with, you know, people coming to the house. And then you have an all, all of a sudden you have a meltdown. So, <clears throat> excuse me, you might have, you know, too much information that you're giving and we want to keep them clear, simple and easy for the learner to understand.
0: All right. So, so bi- remember the uh, oh, go ahead. simpler,
1: the better. No, That's fine. Remember, simpler, the better. Um, you don't have to present a reason or convince anybody clear and simple is what you need. And, uh, the biggest thing when you give a direction is you want to follow through and make sure that you are, um, being consistent in what you're offering your learner and the consequences that you're delivering.
0: Cool. So, um, I've got a little bit of a list going on here, so I just want to go through real quick and make sure that, uh, we got everything. So, um, uh, speak clearly and slowly. Have the learner yes. repeat it back. Uh, oh, sometimes yeah. use a, uh, a kind of a fill-in type statement to mm-hmm. perhaps generate some enthusiasm about it. Um, mm-hmm.
1: uh, well, also that they that you understand that they know exactly what it is because I'm not telling them beforehand. Uh, hey, you know, you have to sit in your seat and you have to keep your feet on the floor. We have reviewed that so it's not just simple recitation it's actual it's that they know uh because i'll let you know 15 20 minutes go by before i ask them again uh and i'm doing that while like we're riding the bus you know but in your see, feet mm-hmm. on the floor that type of thing so i'm just kind of you know recalling their knowledge of what i'm asking them to do
0: all right that's a good clarification <coughs> them what they can earn uh yep. have them then we repeat should the always instruction be doing back. That. Mm-hmm. um Reward or praise for com- compliance. Avoiding vague instructions. Um, avoid asking the learner if they want to do X, Y, or Z. Avoiding the the let's or the we mm-hmm. or any of those type of uh, things. Um, avoid giving instructions followed by reasoning and uh, being consistent with your expectations.
1: Definitely, consistency is key. It's not just a cliche; it's a way of life. All right. Cool.
0: All right. Well, wow, that's quite the rundown here, and I think uh, anyone with 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 kids, or anyone who is perhaps a uh, an aunt or uncle or whatever, you know, can uh, yeah, yeah certainly sure. see, uh, see 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 their, their and you know uh, uh, learners through through these lenses, or you know, certainly can think through the you know how these principles and, and strategies would be helpful. Hey guys, it's me uh, just by myself. I just want to take a quick break here from the program to let you know that if you are in need of type two continuing education, there are some podcast episodes that qualify for those. So if you want to go to behavioral observations.com forward slash get CEUs, there will be a complete list of all the offerings that are available. We have stuff on functional analysis, functional communication training, ethics, supervision, Acceptance and commitment therapy, and more. And we've got instructors uh, from uh, some of the most popular podcast episodes, including uh, Greg Hanley, Pat Fryman, uh, Mark Dixon, and, uh, again, more. So, again, go to behavioralobservations.com forward slash get CEs or get C-U's. I can't remember which, but it's pretty straightforward. And uh, you'll be good to go. You can earn some CEs while you're on the go, while you're driving around, while you're at the gym, while you're walking the dog, or whatever you do while you're listening to podcasts. So, uh, anywho, I uh, just wanted to throw that out there, and uh, let's get back to hearing more from Brandon. I want to kind of turn the page here a little bit, because as I mentioned earlier, I, we got quite a bit of uh, uh, stuff in the mailbag, if you will, from listeners. when they, Yeah. Found out we were going to be talking about this topic, so yeah, I was following that
1: last night, and uh, yeah, I was really excited about how much participation you were getting. It was great.
0: yeah, yeah, totally, and so and I'm
1: also fully prepared to answer any questions about my hair. I saw <laughs> that's
0: right all right, so guys, for those of you who don't know Brandon, he has um he has fabulous hair and and and, and in addition to expertise in parent training, he's an expert in hair care products for men. So. Well,
1: it all starts because my wife is a hairstylist, and uh, yeah, didn't know that she's great. She cuts my hair uh, once every two weeks, and you know she showed me. I wasn't a big fan of pomade before, but you got to blow dry, you got to get it, you know, in the shape beforehand, and then you just throw the pomade in there, and that puts the uh, finishing touches on it. So there you go. There's my secret. It's out. All right. uh, if anybody all right. wants to email me,
0: so so if, <laughs> if I come to any CBA events, can she like you know? I mean I need all the help I can get, you know. So Oh yeah, dude. All we'll right. hook you up. All right, sweet, sweet. All right. Um So so hair care notwithstanding, Uh let's let's dive into some listener questions here. I have the best okay. listeners. He, I mean again, the, the, I got deluged with with questions and I apologies in advance if we didn't get to your specific question. We can certainly do a round two. Um and I know I had a lot of people had questions specific to, you know, kind of instructional programming in the home setting with ABA therapists and things like that. Um uh, well, we can probably try to touch on those things, we're talking more about parent training in the context of, of challenging behaviors, et cetera. So. But I think a lot of these principles will kind of overlap, so we'll just kind of go through this stuff one at a time. All right, so the first question is from Ronnie Dunning, and uh, she asked the question that it was on my list of questions to ask, so I'll um, uh, here it goes. Uh, so parent tw- training-wise... Um, what would be the best way to help parents collect data? Uh, you know, she uses Google forms uh, and things like mm-hmm. that, but it's hard. She's finding it difficult when, you know, when parents have to use data sheets and, you know, things along those lines. So uh, I guess to back the question up a few steps is a, do you have parents collect data? And B, how do you have them do that? If that's the case. <laughs> um,
1: yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, we have parents collect data. Uh, they are, different apps. Um, we were big fans of the DATA, but I think for a while that's kind of been off since iOS has updated, uh, some of their things, um, through Apple. I'm sorry. Um, I just, I like good old fashioned pen and paper. Um, and I get a lot of compliance with my, uh, data collection, especially with parents. What I do is I, um, I'll do a lot of partial interval because you're talking about siblings and you're talking about other things that they are responsible for. Um, And what I do is I bring in like a folder and I'll put all my data sheets in there for like the next three months and I'll date every single one of them. And I will tell them, all I need you to do is mark an X. I'll take care of the rest. Um, Because the majority of the clients that we work with, um, we don't have a whole lot of, um, you know, Latency and duration and um, a whole interval and, you know, these different types of data collection systems. We do have the clients that we, you know, work on that with. But a majority of the clients that we're walking into and working on these situations with, uh, you're talking about, you know, an episode a night um, that – You know, mom can just walk over and say, okay, from 7 to 7.15, we were engaging in, you know, tantrum-like behavior. I'll go ahead and mark an X on that. So, you know, I train my parents in, hey, this is just a simple, easy data collection that helps me understand when things are happening and how often they're happening. Um, If we need to get, you know, more in-depth in uh, our data collection and shrink those intervals, we can. Um, But like I said, I get, you know, I've tried that before but I get more compliance. I'll usually set it like 15 to 30 minutes and I also tell the parents, you know, I know with partial honorable, technically you're supposed to mark when something doesn't happen either. Mm-hmm. I tell them to leave it. I tell them to leave it blank. Yes. Um, and I could just see like the relief on their face. when i tell them like, Oh my gosh. So I only have to mark an X when something happens. They're like, yeah, that's all I need. And they're like, wow. And you'll take the old, like, what do you want me to do with the old ones? And I say, leave them. I'll take care of that. All I need you to do is mark an X. And that really helps when, you know, especially like, you know, day program staff or it it could even be a parent too. Well, I don't have time to do that. You go, Oh really? And you mark an X and you're like, that took a, you know, I don't say this to them, but you know, that took a while. Yeah. Um, exactly. So they realize when you say, Oh, so you can't mark an X, they realize kind of how silly they sound because that's always the excuse. I don't, I don't have time. I've got too many things to do. So when you make it as non-involved and as easy and simple, simple as possible, um, you get more compliance, and you put a lot of that responsibility on yourself. I'm responsible for this data. All I need you to do is mark the X's. I'll take care of everything else. So I'm still a fan of the old-fashioned. Here's your pen and paper. Here's a folder. Uh, and in our in our model of service, we're seeing people weekly, and sometimes we're seeing people twice a week. So they don't need to like send us something through the email or anything like that because we're already seeing them. And that's one of the first things that we ask when you walk in. Hey, where's the data folder? I'm gonna go ahead and put that in my computer, uh, you know, as we work through the session. So if something happens to it or I don't see you guys, again, I have the most up-to-date data um, that you know we have right now.
0: All right, cool, cool. And you know, I think also what helps with that and probably makes that you know. Uh, doable for parents is I think sometimes people have this idea of data collection as writing the great American novel every time it occurs (coughs) and so that certainly avoids that so all right so like Bill Bill Clinton keep it simple stupid yeah uh Mary Lally uh she said hello I have some questions about parent training Mary glad you asked uh here we go uh first (laughs) how how do you monitor follow through after a training also if parents don't collect data or follow through with the training how do you address this OK, we, so we, and, and just to kind of uh, interrupt yeah. you, I asked a question that interrupted your answer. I apologize. So, That's but okay. uh, we, well, there's a lot of concerns and, uh, uh, and there's some questions that, that didn't get in the mix about parental compliance and, and things along those yeah. lines. So if you can speak to Definitely. that topic in general as well, that would be awesome.
1: So I guess I'll start by saying that I'll start with the training part. Um, following through after training, like I said, with our model, we are there all the time. Uh, so. What I'm doing is I'm cold probing, I'm observing, I'm taking my own data on their compliance. Uh, And you'll know through the child's behavior or the learner's behavior, you'll know for sure um, if they are doing, you know, what you're asking them to do, because you will see improvement. Uh, And a lot of times parents will come clean. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I just had a really bad day the other day and I couldn't follow through the program. And instead of, oh, I can't believe you, how dare you? Hey, that's cool what can we do next time to help you work through that? What's something that we can modify to help you uh, comply with that next time and, you know, kind of work through their behavior too. So we are constantly doing follow-up training. This is not just a one-time training. Uh, You're walking in and you're, you're watching them interact and you're constantly training up and, and building their behaviors along with the child's behaviors. Um, If they don't collect data or follow through with the training, how do we address this? So, like I said, we have a lot of people who want our service, who need our service, who are on wait lists, who are trying to get services through different providers. And in our treatment plans, um, we have stuff written in that they will comply with everything you're asking them to do. If they don't, we will have some sort of performance imp- improvement plan that we can work on them with. And then after a certain amount of time, if they still don't comply and are taking the services that we are offering them for granted, uh, we will see services and move on to somebody who can use our services. And that's not a threat. And that's not to be nasty. But you may have a family who's just kind of like, yeah, whatever. We, Yeah, OK, sure. We'll, we'll do what you tell us to do. And then you leave and it's kind of like, you know, we'll do whatever we want now. But then you have this family on the wait list who you could walk in and we're like, we'll do whatever you need us to do. And you can be super effective with that family. So part of what I always like to do is I like to evaluate, and this is another thing that, you know, I think is very important is we have to protect ourselves as clinicians. And you don't want to get caught in the middle of these custody battles, these divorces, these parents pitting the child against one another. Uh, You want to make sure that you protect yourself. And, you know, if you see that as an issue, and a lot of times we find out through our preliminary intake and screening process that this might be an issue, we can write – like a custom passage in the treatment plan that states you will comply, you will not use our services to harm another person, you will not do all of these things, um, or services will be ceased at our discretion. So there are different measures, and it's not all punitive. But you know, if parents aren't complying, you know, eventually you're going to have to say this isn't working. We're going to have to ha- have to uh, have to help somebody else who is going to use our services. Um, but training, 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 I can't say it enough and it doesn't have to be formal. I find that, you know, quick five minute hits, just boom, 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 in and out, uh, building up and shaping their behavior, uh, to what you want it to be. I find that that's the best because you aren't just, you know, drilling them and, you know, beating it into their heads. Um, and you want to remain positive and upbeat when I'm working with parents, I am so excited. Because if you're not excited and you're the person who's supposed to be training this and working this, like, why would they be excited? So um, you almost have to play a part with your parents, too. Like, you know, you're playing Elmo with the kids or whatever your favorite Muppet or Sesame Street character is. And then with the parents, you have to be that source of confidence, advocacy and um, just general excitement and upbeat positivity. And I think a lot of parents that they really enjoy that and they don't get that from a lot of their other service providers.
0: I see. You know, I know you mentioned briefly situations with custody and things like that. I do have a couple of questions from from uh, listeners. Um, I'm going to try to group them together because uh, I think they're kind of run along the same theme. But uh, Celia Heyman, uh, <coughs> Luisa Agato, Aislinn Bright, Diane Berth, uh, a couple of other folks had questions about uh, working with parents who might be... Um, either have different levels of commitment might be split up or splitting up, um, yeah. might have different agendas, et cetera. Uh, so can I, and I know you kind of spoke to that in, in, in brief, but, um, can you, can you go over that again real quick
1: about like, uh, different, different family members?
0: Yeah. I mean, how do you deal with different households, uh, you know, uh, different, you know, parental philosophies, you know, I know it just, you know, kind of in my own kind of observations, many, you know, Many of, um, you know, people, I acquaintances I know that have gotten divorced have gotten divorced, and, and part of the con- contributing factors are, are different yeah. parenting philosophies and things For like sure. that, you know, uh, or at least that's just maybe not necessarily divorce, but it's certainly a common source of, of, of uh, you know, partner conflict. Right. Um, well, so how do you guys through. deal with that?
1: Yeah, your approach has to meet that parent or that family member where they're at. So if you have a dad who's just kind of like, Oh yeah, it's cool, man. We just kind of do this and we do that. And you're like, Hey, that's fine. Let me work this into what you guys are doing. So you don't really have to change your lifestyle too much and you can still be that cool dad and have a good time. Like I understand, (coughs) excuse me. So, um, what you can do is you can tailor make, you know, those trainings to meet that parent where they are. And then if you have the mom who's, you know, super uptight and, um, you know, real worried about everything and, um, just, you know, kind of uh, high anxiety, you can meet her where she's at and, you know, help her work through that. And, you know, you give the same training just in a different, just in a different way. But what the big thing about this is when I see parents or grandparents or siblings or anybody else that we're working with, when I see consistency, that's when I see success. Um, when I see inconsistency and when I see, uh, parents who are arguing and parents who are, um, you know, have differing opinions on how, you know, the rapid and, you know, the plan should be run. That's when I start to see kind of, um, kind of some fallout and, uh, I don't really see progress being made. So, you know, and I'm not going in and telling them that you have to change exactly the way that you live your life or what you think of your partner. Like, I'm not asking you to do that. I'm just asking you both to run this plan the exact same way.
0: I see. Uh, (laughs) You you brought up siblings, and that was another theme that kind of ran through many of the listener questions. Um, uh, Some of those from Celia Heyman and then someone from, uh, let's see, uh, Ryan O'Donnell from the uh, Why We Do What We Do podcast. What's Uh, up, Ryan? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. A little shout out to fellow podcaster, Ryan. Um, uh, And so how do you incorporate siblings in the training?
1: Um, I have trained siblings and we train siblings exactly like we train the parents. Uh, however, we will, you know, kind of change our language and the way we train it to match, you know, whatever their age or their, um, or whatever their level might be as far as, you know, where they are. I think I've actually done that. I did uh, the training with a 12 year old one time and it was very well received and, you know, it's, you just have to make it make sense for them. Uh, of course, I'm not reading all these behavior principles out of the white book to him. Um, <laughs> but I'm, you know, I'm saying, hey, man, you know, sometimes your your brother gets upset and sometimes he gets angry and uh, he'll throw he'll throw tantrums on the floor. He starts throwing his shoes. You've seen that happen, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that happen. OK, so what I need you to do when that happens, no matter what he does, no matter how he's following you, if he's throwing his shoes at you, screaming at you. I know that's frustrating and I know that's upset. I've been there before. I had a younger brother. But he needs you to walk away. He needs you to go to your room and shut the door. He needs you to ignore him. Um, and then, when he's done throwing his tantrum and he's back to being, you know, his his nice self and wants to play video games with you and isn't hitting you, um, then you can interact with him and have a good time again. But he needs you to do these things for him. And you can just explain it in a way that makes sense for them. But yeah, we train we are all about training anybody and everybody who, you know, has a significant role in, in our learners lives.
0: (coughs) Very cool. Um, all right. So Shari asks, uh, in New Zealand, there is no funding for services. Uh, it is totally self-funded for families. Uh, hence we often get requests for low hours or reduced clinic time. Um, certainly contrary to, you know, best available practices, et cetera. So, um, how do you? How do you? I guess one question that she didn't directly ask, but kind of made me think of it, is what is the time commitment? You know, for, for for this sort of thing from a from a clinical hours perspective.
1: I mean, I could spend a full three hours working on one of these skills, but I mean, realistically, you could do, and you know, this all kind of goes into behavior skills training too, because we use behavior skills training to train these skills as well. Um. But, I mean, you could easily do one of these in 30 minutes, Um, you know, just through the role playing and through watching them and observing them uh, and then providing feedback. Um, It's real simple to just do 10, 10, 10, uh, just boom, 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 right through the session. And uh, it doesn't need to take a super long time. And like I said, you can follow up with, you know, those future five minute quick trainings and uh, just let them know exactly, you know, what you would do how you would do it, provide that feedback in the moment and then, you know, continue on with what you're doing. So the cool thing about rapid, and I mentioned this earlier, it's so fluid. You can do it anywhere, anytime with anybody and it can take, you know, I've done rapid trainings where it's been four hours long, but then I've also done rapid trainings to where I've done them in, you know, 25 to 30 minutes. So it's, it's really all about how you want to present, um, how you want to present the program, how fast your parent can learn, and, um, you know, the environment you're working in. <coughs> uh, uh, uh,
0: another another podcaster, Becca Tagg from the Business of Behavior podcast, uh, she asked, how do you get insurance to cover it? Uh, you know, uh, do you use a fee-for-service model? Uh, do you have any thoughts about multiple parent groups versus individual trainings? Uh, and favorite ways to do progress monitorings, things like that. So we don't. And there's a bunch of questions rolled up into yeah, that one, but yeah,
1: that's okay. Um, so this isn't necessarily like a specialized one-off training. It's just part of our services. So if we're providing services services for somebody, you know, it's, I mean, it's part of the monitoring phase for us. Um, excuse me. We can do some of it in um, while we're assessing and while we're doing behavior support so that those parents feel, or I'm sorry, the behavior support plan. Uh so these parents feel as if we are giving them some knowledge and we are giving them some help when we first walk in and we're not just watching behavior happen and taking data. So I mean it's it's just part of our natural service and insurance does, you know, cover part of that. Um and <clears throat> I guess you might be talking about more more of the RBTs um and the and what the RBTs are doing. There are parent training uh codes that we have. Um in our insurance that we can work on that through. But uh, most of the time we just work into our, our regular services, Um, multiple parent groups versus individual trainings. Really, you can do it either way. Like I said, it's so, so simple, so fluid. It's packaged in a way that's easy to understand, but there is no substitute for one-on-one individualized in-person training. Like it doesn't get any better than
0: that. And And, um, you know, in
1: the home, um, yeah, because you
0: then, know the the reason why I want to ask that qualifier right there is because yeah, I did have some school-based BCBA's, uh, Lauren Molnar and my uh, my good friend Karen Davis, um, uh-huh. <clears throat> excuse me, who work for school districts, and they get asked about parent training all the time. Oh yeah, and, and, yeah, certainly, and I've, tra-
1: I've trained this to teachers before too. Like they can
0: use this just as easily as, as parents can. But can they use it and I mean certainly many school districts aren't sending teachers out into the home settings and things like that. Have you seen this done or have you done this in a situation where parents come in to a um, a, a different setting to receive the training? And if so, what outcomes have you seen from this <coughs> process? Well,
1: I can't necessarily tell you about the outcomes on that because we have given the training before to like parent groups and to, um, you know, privately contracted companies that, you know, just wanted the training and that was it. So I can't really speak on their outcomes. Um, but it's generally well-received and what we'll do is we'll do, you know, just a, um, kind of customized behavior skills training within that, not really a workshop, but we'll do breakouts and we'll we'll do the skills at each one of the tables and, you know, kind of role play and give them feedback in that too. So, uh, yeah, people have gotten it from, you know, a, a myriad of different environments, Uh, the teachers don't come to the home to get the training. Um, if the funding source allows us, we are more than happy to go to the school and provide the training in the classroom. I actually have a client right now, uh, that I'm working on rapid skills with the teacher and I'm in the classroom and, you know, I'm kind of hanging out. And when something happens, I'm modeling and showing her and, you know, kind of giving her that look from the back of the room How's when you need a reward? You need, to, hey, all right, now you need to ignore this. And I'm working her through those issues. And I understand that everybody does have the the opportunity or the funding sources for that. So it might be a little tougher for for some of your listeners, but <clears throat> excuse me. Um that's that's what I'm doing in, in the school.
0: Well uh can you speak to developing kind of parental confidence? You know, uh, Linnell Kelly asked a a question, and I think the crux of it is basically um, uh, some parents she works with need a lot of reassurance, a lot of holding and things like that. And the concern is ultimately they won't do this when, you know, outside of the direct training or supervision context. So can you talk about how, to, I guess, build up someone's uh, confidence to implement this stuff?
1: Well, what's going to happen is they are going to be skeptical at first, or they are going to be a little kind of like, Ooh, I don't know. That seems like a lot of trouble, but when they see the success that you have with the learner, they're going to be they're They're going to want it. They're going to say, how did you, how did you do that? And of course they're going to have to get the, through the, well, you're new phase. <laughs> There's always that, well, you're new to this person. Uh, once you get through that, you know, if they are having a little trouble buying in and they see the positive outcomes, they're, they're going to want that for themselves. So they'll buy in after that. Um, But, you know, it's just reassuring the parents and, you know, I tell them about the mother nature part, of course. Um, The big one is going to be tantrums. You know, when they're having a tantrum, they're kind of like, all right, we're back to where we were before. So what I like to tell them is your learner's tantrum is you taking the control back. Like what you're hearing right now and what you're experiencing is because they aren't getting what they want through the easier, negative, challenging behaviors that they're used to getting them through. You're taking control back and reversing this cycle. And then you know, I can see
0: it in their face. Oh, you're right. You know, you know, and that funny, gives a, Yeah. Uh, sorry <coughs> to cut you off, but the, no, you're fine. The, that that layman's language, you're taking control back. Sometimes we have to fight against that as behavior analysts. Uh, certainly. Yeah. Um, but I think in that context, that's such a great way oh, yeah. to phrase it, because that they understand a, it yeah yeah and and as much as we try not to set up situations as as power struggles over you know right. perceived control and things like that i can see where that would work perfectly for that application well, so i wanted to kind of and, blurt that out as a before yeah. i forgot it
1: no that's fine and one of the first things they always tell you you know when you walk in i feel like i don't i feel like i don't have any power or control over my own life right now i feel like i'm a prisoner who's trapped in this home because my child cannot go out. They cannot adjust. They cannot tolerate certain things. So you really play to that. You know, whatever they tell you I feel like I don't have control of my life or my household anymore. So then when they are encountering a situation, you're using their own words and the things that they're, you know, because you always ask, what do you want out of this? I want my life back. I've had people tell me that before. This is you taking your life back. That's what this tantrum is. Um, Always remember the stress that parents are under. You have to be empathetic. Um, Technically, we're there to work with the client, but you also have to understand that the family is your client, okay? And in order for this to work and be successful, everybody has to be on the same page. And if a parent's having a tough day, who's to say that you can't hear them out? Hey, and I don't like to use the word understand because I don't understand. Number one, I'm not a parent. Number two, I don't have a child with developmental disabilities. I say, I hear you i can I hear what you're saying, and I'm gonna do the best to try to help you out through this situation and Here's some ways that we can move forward through this um, what and what I like to do is and you know you'll get parents who one of the first things they'll ask you is, Is this something that I've done? Is this my fault? <clears throat> How could this have happened? And uh, my good friend Bob Ross at uh Beacon up in uh, the northeastern part. Um, one night, I'm sure it was in a, (laughs) in a drunken stupor or whatever it may have been, (laughs) but, um, you know, we get into these conversations and he taught me something extremely important, very valuable, uh, one night. And he said, you know, make the parents tell you that, that they want to change, make them tell you, because you can come in and say, we're going to change, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. Have the parents tell you. And he said, do it in a way that says, do you do you feel as if the way things are going right now, do you feel like this is working for you? And the parents will more than likely say, no, this, this isn't working. Okay. So do you feel as if you want to change your life? Do you want to feel as if you want to change the way things work around here? I can help you do that. Do you want to change this? And then they'll say yes. And I get into the talk because you know, they'll ask me, is this my fault? And without just saying yes, because we all know history of reinforcement and you know all those types of things.
0: Yeah, the short That's answer is yes, it.
1: but. <laughs> yes, the short answer is this. But what I tell them is, don't beat yourself up. I'm here for a reason. I'm here to help you. You are responsible for so much more than just behavior. You're responsible for making dinner, doing laundry, getting brother and sister to soccer practice, schoolwork, uh, cleaning the house making sure the dog's fed. There are a million different things that you're responsible for. Sometimes it's just easier for you to give in to the behavior and reinforce those negative behaviors. And that's okay. What I'm here to do is I'll come in three to six hours a week, however long, you know, whatever I may have with the family. And I'm going to (coughs) work, excuse me, strictly on behavior. I can wait those tantrums out. I can do those things. You can't always do that. And that's okay. And that's why we're here. But I will try to make a program that will seamlessly fit into your life with the least effort possible to get you the results that we need in order for you guys to have meaningful, uh, positive interactions again. So essentially, you're telling them, "Yeah, it's your fault, but it's not your fault because you're responsible for so much." And you, this is a tough gig, and and we know that. We we get that, but we're here to help. And you know, I had a mom the other day who called me during a crisis. And this is something I always always hammer home to my families, and also uh at uh Maba yesterday, um, you know I let them know we are in a position that it is a privilege and an honor to help these families and I had a mom call me, and she was in a crisis, and she was crying hysterically and At the end of the phone call, I'll never forget this. She said, "I'm sorry for calling you," and I stopped her, and I said, "Don't ever apologize." for calling me. Don't ever apologize for needing my assistance. That's my job. And I am a very lucky person to have the the honor and the privilege and the ability to help you guys through what I'm able to help you through and you know get some positive results and and help to change your lives. And you know we have to go into every case with our parents and with our learners with that same attitude that we are so lucky to be able to have a positive impact on people's lives. And we can't forget that.
0: What a remarkable way to show empathy. That's, uh that, I yeah. appreciate you taking some time to elaborate on that. Yeah. A um, couple more questions here and, and I think we can wrap up. Uh, okay. So uh, Sophia Garner and Diane Berth had questions about, uh, the general gist of them was basically uh, uh, working with families that might have some, you know, kind of uh, psychological or mental health barriers to, you know, this sort of intervention. Have you had to work with families where the caregivers themselves have their own share of <coughs> issues, whatever they might be? Oh yeah. And All how do time. you work yeah, around get that?
1: that? Um, and this is where, and I think I said this yesterday, like we wear so many different hats. I feel like in the community as a behavior analyst, I wear like one of those, uh, little Sherlock Holmes hats where it's got like two fronts, like two bills or something. Mm-hmm. And, um, One of those bills is an applied behavior analyst. Um, The other bill is kind of a social worker. And sometimes you have to have that conversation to where you have to let parents know in order for this to work and in order for you to take care of your learner or your child, you have to take care of yourself. And it's a tough conversation to have. It's not the easiest thing to break to somebody that, you know, they are having issues and, you know, you bring up, what can i do to help you do i need to get you with someone who you know what services would you need what services could i help you with uh and you kind of direct them to them services or you go back to the case manager (coughs) excuse me that the um that the child is working through and you know you kind of work with them as a team on helping this parent get the help that they need um if they do already have you know certain services and, um, help in place for whatever they might be struggling with, then, um, you're going to need to, you know, seriously take that into consideration in the way that you're presenting things and the way that you're training and the way that you're helping this family. But I find most of the time that the parents, that when they are in that situation, they don't have the help they need because when they get the help, they'll tell you, but you don't notice it as much. Like it's not an issue when they have the help and support in place. So, um, yeah, that's always a really tough spot to be in because it's always tough to tell another person you need help. Um, but you have to, you know, put it in and format it in a way for this parent that in order for you to help and be successful and, and solve this issue that we need solved with your child, we're going to have to solve yours either first or at the same time.
0: I see. And then um, Shibata uh, Deshpande and uh, Sarah Degayo I had questions about cultural competence, uh, both generally and also uh, Sarah's question was more specific towards uh, 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 people with uh, English as a second language and and things like that. So Mm -hmm. um, what um, what uh, recommendations, strategies, et cetera, that you would suggest for us to be, you know, kind of culturally competent practitioners?
1: Well, it's all through, it's all throughout that preliminary intake, intake assessment and the uh, screening that we do, because we do find out that information, uh, from people and, you know, there's certain beliefs and certain cultures, or if they don't speak, um, English, um, or if they do speak limited English, um, because you have, if you're going to do that, you got to have a translator. I mean, there's no other way around that. Um, you don't want to work through a family member. Um, that's not ideal, um, because you need to have that third party. Um, and then conflict of interest and whatnot. So um, you want to make sure before you take a case that you can provide services uh, through those cultural differences or through those cultural issues. You know, you don't just want to take, oh, yeah, we'll figure it out when we get there. You, you can't do that. You have to be 100 percent sure that, you know, what you're asking this family to do, that their culture or their religion or their beliefs uh, will allow them to do or that they'll that they'll understand what you're asking them to do. Because otherwise, I, you know, you're just being unethical if you're just blindly taking cases and, you know, not understanding exactly what this family needs from you before
0: you walk in that door. Got it. Got it. So we can always go back to the the code. Uh, for some yeah, products. I would. Yeah, I would
1: definitely recommend that, you know, if you aren't using some sort of screening tool or screening intake assessment to find out about your families and what they need beforehand, um, I would definitely suggest doing that. It's really helped us. Um, cause we used to have people coming in and we have a, um, we have a service in Kentucky called respite and we would have people coming in. Yeah. I need behavior supports. Okay, cool. What are some challenging behaviors that we could help you guys out with? Uh, we don't really have anybody, uh, or have any, we just want somebody to kind of, um, you know, be with them so we can go shopping or we can, um, just have a night to ourselves and like, okay, we don't do that. <laughs> so, right. um, it's definitely helped us out. So I'd, I'd highly recommend people start doing that in their practice.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, we are, uh, kind of going well over an hour here. So again, this is the, uh, the, the questions, uh, are, you know, we're, we're, we're very forthcoming from listeners guys. Thank you so much for yeah. taking time to write in. It's, uh, um, yeah, thanks guys. Um, but I think it's probably close to the time to put a, to wrap up, uh, this particular episode. So, um, you know if if you have any final thoughts for practitioners you know we're recording this on you know sep- uh, September 22nd and uh the exam results were just posted just the other day so there's a lot of people oh, yeah. who are either high-fiving themselves or you know uh, conversely you know resolving to uh, buckled down and, 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 and succeed to test it, whether it's a second or third time or what have you so uh, for 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 new practitioners or any you know kind of newly minted BCBAs if you have any final thoughts for someone uh, in in those positions um, and if you have any uh, suggestions for where people can reach out to you if they have more questions <coughs> about parent training and things like that, if you could leave us with a, a couple of final thoughts that would be great.
1: yeah so for all the new new practitioners out there um you are responsible for your career you're responsible for your actions um make sure that whatever you are asked to do or whatever it is that you do is found within our uh, ethical code of conduct and guidelines that the bacb sets forth sets forth for us it's easy to be naive it's easy to lean on somebody who Um, has been doing this for years and years and years, but asks you to do something that you aren't 100% sure about because the BACB um, is going to come back on both of you. You can't point a finger at somebody else and say, well, they told me to do it. Yeah, well, as a board-certified behavior analyst, you're supposed to know how to be ethical and what to do. So take responsibility and take control of your own career from here on out. Um, Don't be afraid of rejection. Uh, don't be afraid of failure. Uh, I have a little saying: keep, keep going, and keep doing it until someone tells you no. Um, because it's, it's worked out pretty well for me. Also, remember what I said about an honor and privilege um, to serve our families, because we need, we need that, especially in our field. That and the perception that you know we're creating robots, uh, we need to have empathy, and we really need to have that connection with our families. And uh, with the people that we serve, um, as far as getting a hold of me, I can give people my email address uh, so they can contact me for, you know, uh, any questions or any further discussion they can, may
0: have. Or, can, can they reach uh, yeah. can they reach you through CBACares.com? Is there a contact page or something like that? There
1: is a contact page uh, that they can. But I don't want to inundate the business with a bunch of people telling them how bad the podcast is. <laughs> oh, <so>. come on. <laughs> Um, no, uh but I can just give my email address and that way they can have a direct line to me. All right. Cool. Um, it's B as in Brandon, and then it's B Franklin at CBA cares.com. So B Franklin at CBA cares.com.
0: And again, we'll have all and, this information in the show notes as well. So for those, yeah, definitely. And uh, if
1: anybody wants, yeah, if anybody wants to learn more about CBA or what we're doing, uh, we have our own events um, that we're putting on, and hopefully it'll, you know, blossom into a conference eventually. That's our goal. But we just had Greg Hanley down. Uh, we had Tim Courtney doing an ethics and supervision talk. It was a, it was a great event. Um, we're, we're exploding, man. We're growing, and uh, we're going to need a lot of board certified behavior analysts. And Kentucky is a great place to live. So if you're interested in a new challenge with a company that really emphasis culture of a behavior analytic nature and gives you opportunities to learn and grow as a professional. Uh, give us a look, give us a shout and we'll be happy to talk to you and uh, hopefully give you uh, a home and a career where you can blossom.
0: Very cool. All right, Brandon, yeah. this has been great fun. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you,
1: Matt. I really appreciate the, Appreciate the opportunity. And uh, I really appreciate what you're doing for our field. Um, through dissemination, we meet, we need more stuff like this and, uh, keep doing what you're doing. Big fan. And, uh, I'll see you very soon.
0: Awesome. Thanks. All right. See you, buddy. Bye. All right, really good stuff from Brandon, and I really appreciate the time he took to come uh, drop by the podcast, so if you want any more information on what they're doing down there in Kentucky, go to cbacares.com. Let's see, what else? A big thanks to Lisa Britton for sponsoring the show, BrittonBehavioralConsulting.com, and if you enjoyed the show or if you enjoy any of the shows and you haven't yet left a uh, a, a review on iTunes. That would be really cool. I'd really appreciate it if you went to uh, iTunes and then typed in behavioral observations in the search bar, clicked on the rating, um, whatever the rating button, or I forget exactly what it looks like. Uh, and then just uh, gave a, uh, a rating and review that helps us spread the message of behavior analysis. The more ratings we get, the more visibility we get on the uh, Apple iTunes store or, you know, whether you're listening on Google Play or Stitcher Radio, any, uh, I guess, your, your, your podcasting source of choice, uh, ratings and reviews help out considerably. So, uh, anywho, I think that's pretty much all I have today. So, I will see you again in session 37 of the Behavioral Observations podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Behavioral Observations Podcast with Matt Sikoria. You can find Matt's notes on this episode at www.behavioralobservations.com. We also invite you to stay connected with us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash behavioral observations
2: and on Twitter at Podcast.